We start a Buddhist class with refuge, and the the main refuge objects or the traditional refuge objects are the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha,、uh, called the Three Jewels, or sometimes the called the Triple Gem.、Um, but I was thinking today that we can also take refuge in karma itself,、um, but not in the same way. Uh, that we can think of、uh, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha as like sources of solace or support,、uh, taking refuge in the sense of shelter, but refuge in the sense of something that's dependable, something that we can that we can、um, that we know has consistency or reliability.、Um, th- the thing about karma is that that's for better or for worse.、Um, So when we, you know, one of the rules or the laws of karma, I think of these laws again as natural laws, rather than like doctrines or rules. But one of the laws of karma is that karma is definite, and causes produce like results. So,、um, you know, when we have negative things happening in our life, those are the results of. Of selfishly motivated karma planted and or created in the past, and and how we how we act and behave towards others, including our thoughts about others, is what's putting the karma into place that's leading to results in the future, and that and and so you know acts of generosity, acts of kindness,、um, behavior or speech that is motivated by compassion. Um, those are going to produce positive karmas of a similar type in the future. So, w- in one of the previous classes, I think it was class two of this of this series, we talked about karmic correlations, which is specifically the types of results that come from specific actions in the present.、Um, but my point here is that karma is definite; karma is certain. So the we take refuge in that in in that we we can take refuge in our karma by trusting that if we are approaching our life and we're approaching other people with patience and kindness and altruism, that we are setting into place the causes that will lead to a, a peaceful, happy, safe, comfortable life. But the dark side, the flip side to that, is that when we put, if we are acting, or the degree to which that we're acting selfishly, self with self interest, self motivation, especially when we're doing things that harm other people, even when we think about harming other people, we can also rely, maybe not to our、uh, benefit, but we can rely on the the notion that those are going to produce like results, unpleasant results. In the future, so that's just a that's a different way of I think of thinking about refuge. It's not Buddhist refuge in the、um, traditional sense of the three jewels, 
but it is one of the ways that uh, we can begin to habituate our mind or change the way that we think about the world and think about our role in the world that um, will help us put these Buddhist principles and these Buddhist practices uh, into action in our life. And that's why Buddhism relies so much on the um, on precepts or vows, which is when we make a commitment to, to behave ethically and we, we take a, a set of precepts like the, the, five, the five precepts or the ten precepts, um, when we make a commitment to not harm others, the, the five precepts are um, not harming other beings' bodies, um, not having harsh speech or rather wrong speech in its variety of forms, harsh speech, divisive speech, um, not taking things that aren't given, um, not committing sexual misconduct, and um, not damaging our mind with intoxicants, which nowadays I kind of think maybe advertising, television advertising, or, you know, too, you know, too much garbage that we put into our mind in the form of like endless amounts of media entertainment, maybe that we could consider as a form of an intoxicant. So the, the and so these precepts, they have a, a negative side or rather what to avoid and they have a positive side, the actions that we want to put into place. So whereas on the negative side, we have not harming others, not not killing or committing acts of violence. But on the positive side, the way to generate positive karma is to um, protect life or to help others who are in physical distress, to take care of people who are sick. Um, and so one of these sort of strategies for karmic management is... We want to stop creating the non-virtuous karma that leads to bad results in the future, unpleasant results in the future. And we want to start creating uh, good karmas, virtuous karmas that lead to pleasant results in the future. And this is one of the, one of the reasons for altruism, uh, which in its grandest scope is the, um, the bodhisattva ideal. Um, the, the Buddhist wish to free others from suffering with a greater intensity even than wishing to free our own selves from suffering. Uh, not just altruism in the sense of um, being materially generous to the people in our lives, but uh, altruism in this great sense of, of um, wanting to be the next Buddha for the, for the purpose of creating uh, an enlightened universe, freeing others from suffering. Uh, so this is, again, one of the main aspects of starting a Buddhist practice. We always want to remind ourselves of refuge, and we, all, and we want to remind ourselves of our motivation for doing Buddhist practice, um, that we're not merely doing Buddhist practice to achieve our own freedom from suffering, but that we are doing these practices for the benefit of all, uh, not just of all humanity, but of all living beings uh, that we can imagine in the cosmos. So there's so there's again touching on this idea of, of virtuous karma, non-virtuous karma, and mixed karma. This is something we brought up in a previous class, but uh, I think it bears repeating that um, that when we we talk about non-virtuous karma, which is also called bad karma or black karma, um, what we mean is 
uh, things, actions that are selfishly motivated, um, oftentimes harmful, um, that uh, are, are creating the seeds for uh, unpleasant results in the future. So non-virtuous karma, meaning leads to unpleasant results. Um, if we uh, have a habit of lying to people, then the no that creates the non-virtuous karma that will ripen as us having experiencing others uh, deceiving us um, or manipulating us. So that's we, we're trying to, at the basic level, set ourselves up for better, uh, for, for fewer bad experiences in the future. And then there's virtuous karma. And, and virtuous karma means putting into places the causes that are going to lead to pleasant results in the future. So we, we, uh, we avoid harsh speech, speaking in ways that uh, uh, upsets people. Um, and we instead intentionally take on the practice of speaking sweetly to people, being kind, um, even and especially when we feel stressed or irritable and we are restraining ourselves from harsh speech and we are intentionally practicing uh, kind speech or, or, or uh, sweet speech. We're, we're creating the virtuous karma of having people speaking sweetly to us and, and living in a, in a world in which we see people uh, treating each other with kindness and speaking gently. So that's virtuous karma. Now, the, the, the reality of the situation is that it's very rare, it's very unlikely that we are creating either very strong non-virtuous karmas or very strong virtuous karmas. To create a very strong non-virtuous karma, it has to be, uh, there, there's a lot of factors that go into creating a strong karma, which we're going to go into in just a moment. And, and so it's very unlikely that we're acting with such undivided, concentrated malice or hatred or ill will towards someone that we're creating a, a karma that's purely black. But also similarly, we're, we're, it's unlikely that we are uh, able to create a karma that's purely virtuous because we have the habit of self-cherishing which is one of the characteristics of, of beings who are in samsara and who are not free from suffering. Um, the, this habit of self-cherishing, this kind of basic habit of self-cherishing, not just the, you know, deciding to take the last cookie out of the box in the snack room and nobody will notice that it's missing, kind of like, like minor greed, but I mean like basic in the sense that we are committed to our own existence as a discrete individual being. I believe that I'm me. I believe that I that this body and this uh, identity construct, this ego, the experiences of these senses are me. And that's what matters to me in the world because I don't experience any of you or anybody else. And so I'm not that concerned. You know, I have kind of ideas that you have thoughts and feelings in your own experience, but my thoughts and feelings are really important to me. And I don't even question that. I don't even think about whether or not when I wake up in the morning, am I going to have self-cherishing or not? Self-cherishing or not. When I wake up in the morning, I just experience my reality as being confined by this body and this mind. And that's the result of 
uh, self-cherishing and the cause of self-cherishing. And that self-cherishing, that, self that, that commitment to our own belief in our own existence is always tainting even good karmas. So we, we're never creating a purely white karma. Um, one of the strategies, as I mentioned, is uh, if, if you're going to practice kind of a karmic management strategy for your spiritual life, is to stop creating new bad karmas and to create as many good karmas as possible. Um, it's nice to imagine that karma is finite and that if we played that karma game really well, we could eventually exhaust the you know, exhaust the gas tank of old bad karmas, and there would only be good karmas available in the gas tank to ripen. And then we, it would all be hunky-dory from that point forward. Um, and it, as a thought experiment, I think that's beneficial because it helps us keep a strong motivation for creating good karma. But it's still kind of tainted by this idea that my motivation is that I, I want to be more comfortable. I would like to have more money. I would like to have a better house and so on and so forth. Um, and so even when I'm creating good karma from this kind of strategy, I'm still sort of oriented towards my own uh, comfort in the future. Um, another problem with that is that we... that. Um, Time doesn't have a beginning in the Buddhist cosmology. And so there's a potentially infinite amount of past karma and that we're creating new karma at such a fast rate because the, the mental imprints that are, uh, that are occurring in our mind and our reactions to those are happening at, at a rate that's, that's faster than we can even conceive. Um, that we're creating so much new karma that we're adding karma to the bank as quickly as we're depleting karma from the bank. So the, that sort of model of karmic management is, um, well, it's a long game and it may or may not produce results, but it's worth considering as a strategy. And it helps us wrap our mind around the process of I've got to start establishing these habits. Taking the precepts is a great way to do that. Take, you know, practicing keeping the precepts is a great way to do that. Of recontextualizing the way that I see the world and and putting you know weight behind uh, intention behind this idea that my actions and my thoughts are what is setting up my experiences in the future. Even if that's tainted with self-cherishing, we're still starting to like, you know, turn the steering wheel on the cargo ship and kind of beginning to change our trajectory, beginning to change our direction. So, um, the, the ways that there, there are many factors that influence how strong uh, a karma, a karmic, uh, potential is. Uh, one of the things we talked about in the last class was how karma is stored, um, so to say, um, and how karma propagates in, through our mind through time. Um, and the the time gap there is a uh, 
a, an issue in karma because we don't necessarily see the, the relationship between a, a particular cause and a particular result because there's always a time gap. And that time gap might be multiple lifetimes. And we don't even know who the person was who created that karmic cause that we're experiencing as karmic ripening in the future. So we have to get used to this idea that the that we can't connect specific causes, specific karmic causes with specific karmic results. Nevertheless, we can examine what uh, characteristics of an action in the present that we're that we're responding to our experiences in the present with are going to create a more or less intense karma. Um, the vast majority of the karma that we make is very low intensity. And um, some karma has no intensity at all. And this would be like neutral karma. And this would be like the, uh, the whiteness of a white wall. And unless you have a strong aversion to white, then the whiteness of the white wall is just kind of part of the background and, and doesn't draw our attention or elicit any type of strong response. Um, and then we're having all of the sort of low-level karmas of the day, which is like the minor irritations and the minor pleasures. You know, the the you know we have even if we have like the same thing for breakfast every day, there's still the the hunger and the impetus to eat something, and you know that's a, a relatively minor karma. And if we're eating a you know sort of routine breakfast and it's the same kind of thing that we eat every day, we're not thinking very much about it. It's not like we have a intense desire for the same bowl of Cheerios or something, then we're also planting a karma that's not very intense, not very strong. Um, the more intense or strong the karma is, it's said that those karmas ripen faster, but it's also that they ripen with larger results than these karmas that have low intensity. So we have to be cautious about the things that we have these strong reactions to or these strong impulses, uh, these, Im Im these strong impulses to act in a particular way. Because those stronger impulses create um, stronger, uh, more intense karmas, for better or for worse. So that's, again, if we're, you know, we're starting to look at kind of the bigger picture here of, the, of karmic management is that we can um, create we can we can intentionally create stronger good karmas as well as being cautious about creating strong negative karmas so the the um there are a few major components of what it takes to create a karmic imprint um the first of these is that we have to correctly that we have to identify and correctly identify the object that we're acting towards. Um, now, examples of this is um, of when we're driving a car and we hit a bunch of a bunch of bugs get squashed on the front of our car. Um, you know, except for when one of those big ones hits you hits right in the windshield. Most of the time, we're not even aware that we're hitting car. It's not like as we drive, we're like, "Oh my gosh, how many bugs per minute am I killing?" We're not even identifying the object. Right, we're not even necessarily seeing or paying conscious attention to the the object uh, of the of the life forms that are that we're killing. Right, creating a strong negative karma. I mean, creating a negative karma of killing, but not a strong negative karma. 
of killing because we're not necessarily identifying the objects. Um, this is compared to, um, you know, the, the life of a butcher who correctly identifies, I mean, we assume that they correctly identify the, the animals that they are harvesting, the animals that they're slaughtering as a living being. Um, uh, another example that they use is, um, well, like let's let's take it to an extreme place. But this is this is the example that uh, Tsongkhapa, Jade Tsongkhapa uses in the commentary, which you can read in the the handout that I mentioned earlier. Um, Tsongkhapa says, "Say a murderer sets out to kill to kill a specific person, um, and they they uh, identify the person." and they murder the person. But then it turns out that it was the wrong person. Say they saw them from the back and they saw they, they saw the hair and they thought it was the same person. Now in this case, the murderer who set out to murder person A and then murders person B who was not their intended target, they actually the karma actually is less intense because they committed the karma not against, you, you know, they misidentified the object. Um, now, you know, let's not say that that the act of killing is lessened in any major way, but it's just an example of um, the the significance of uh, correctly identifying the object. Um, so um, that's the first aspect of, of uh, creating the karma is identifying the object towards which you are creating the karma. Now, on the positive side of this, we can identify uh, a strong positive object and, and uh, intentionally set our karma into place towards this, um, towards this positive object. If the, so, you know, in Buddhism, of course, this would normally be um, monks and nuns who have formally taken uh, who have formally taken vows to live their lives uh, according to the Buddhist path and to renounce material material gain and so on. Um, in Buddhism, um, monastics are considered very high objects. Um, obviously, if we have the good fortune to encounter uh, a bodhisattva or an arhat or a Buddha, these would be obviously high objects. Um, but but also, conversely, we can expand that beyond just the Buddhist uh sort of uh, iconography, and we can recognize that there are, you know, especially in our multicultural world, we have lots of uh, holy, you know, holy beings like Jesus Christ and Muhammad and um, Moses and so on, you know, Krishna and Vishnu, the, the uh, various Hindu deities. Um, and we can, you know, choose, we can choose or influence the degree to which we invest these images with sacred power, and by choosing to um, by choosing to invest these beings with sacred power, these 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 ideas, right? They're almost principles more than people. Um, we can strengthen the good karma that we have towards them, the the good karma that we put into place as we act towards them. So. You know, respecting, even if we don't have uh, a sense of uh, these beings being personally meaningful to us or these icons being personally meaningful to us, nevertheless, we can create uh, more, a stronger positive karmas by being respectful and deferential towards um, 
towards towards other other people's religions. Um, to get a little closer to home, um, this would also be our family and our spouse and our children. You know, these are these are uh, beings. We you know karmic objects to use a rather technical term. These are karmic objects that we naturally have. Uh, a strong sense of a bond with, a strong sense of a connection with. And so if we want to start, you know, working the karmic system, if we want to start practicing karmic management, this is a great place to begin with, um, you know, intentionally practice uh, planting strong positive karma. So um, that's a little bit on identifying the object correctly. Part of identifying the object correctly is that we can invest the object with more power with practice. Um, but we're automatically, in many ways, we're automatically responding to objects uh, all, the, all the time, kind of instinctively. Uh, one of the practices here is to start to become more aware of, uh, of our actions. And one of the aspects of that is paying attention to how we identify objects, people, and so on. So the, um, the next aspect of, um, of, of creating karma is um, how is our, is our motivation, uh, how we're using our mind vis-a-vis -vis the object. So part of that is what I was just saying about identifying the object, right? We identify the object, we can tell, we correctly identify that the living creature is a living creature. Um, we correctly identify as a religious icon as a religious icon. Um, the next part of that is that we can, is, is our, our intention and our attitude um, and our thinking in relation to that object. And this is something that's a little bit malleable because we can invest things with greater potency. Um, the, the other aspect is our emotional, uh, our emotional relationship to that thing. So um, actions done with strong emotion create more intense karma than, than the same action done with weak emotion. So on the negative side, this is, uh, you know, obviously anger, or even hatred. Um, on the positive side, this is love, compassion, um, forgiveness is a pretty amazing, and gratitude are pretty amazing positive emotions um, that we can use as antidotes for negative emotions. Um, and, and even as a negative emotion begins to arise, we can identify that emotion. If we, if we can develop the skill of being able to identify that emotion, then we can apply the antidote to it. The antidote to anger is patience. So we, if we, you know, uh, I, I notice emotions as physical sensations in my body and I start to feel that irritation rising up and I can feel this motivation to say something horrible. And if I can catch that, if, if I can catch that, if I can notice it and catch it, then I can, I can uh, if I'm lucky, I can apply the antidote of patience. And then I can, I can restrain the negative action, the, the negative motivate, the, I can restrain the negative action with the negative motivation. And I can instead conjure up a positive motivation and then choose to apply a positive action. Um, this is the degree of mental affliction or not that, that, uh, that is present 
in the uh, karmic, in, in putting that karmic act out there. Um, and the third aspect of, of, uh, of our, of our motivate, of our thinking towards the object is our motivation. Why are we doing the thing that we're doing? So it's easy to, you know, it's easy to, hmm, it's easy to be nice to people because we get something from them in return. Um, and you know, we, we all have to do this to some degree in, in our relationships. Um, you know, we are, we want to have positive interactions with our coworkers. So we're nice to people, even if we don't like them and we wouldn't be friends with them. So we're doing the nice thing, being kind to people, hopefully restraining harsh speech and divisive speech. Um, and instead, you know, speaking kindly to people and being respectful of people, even if we don't like them, even if we disagree with their ideology or something. Um, but our motivation is because we want them to be nice back to us. Um, and then, the, you know, the next stage up is if you're kind of doing the karmic management thing and you know that the, the cause of wealth is generosity. And so you uh, have a practice of, of cultivating generosity, say giving money to homeless people or, um, you know, donating money to nonprofit organizations or something. The act is positive, right? It's sincere. The, the, it's, it sincerely is generous. Um, and it's not wrong to want to have a, a life in which you have the, the, the financial resources to, to devote to, to, to have the time to devote to your spiritual practice. But if the motivation of the act of generosity is the future wealth, then that weakens the that weakens the positive aspect of the good of the of the of the virtuous karma. So this is how uh, karmas can be mixed: uh, is that we do a positive karma, but with a with a selfish motivation. Now, the greater to the degree to which we can introduce sincere altruism, um, sincere selfless action into our um, <clears throat> into our, into our actions, the, the more, uh, intense we're, we are, uh, creating virtuous karma, the more intense that virtuous karma will be. Um, a bit of an aside, but, uh, relevant, I think is a sort of, uh, Buddhist interpretation of, um, the, the crucifixion and, and rebirth of Jesus Christ is that, um, as Jesus was going through this intense suffering through with his, with his torture and execution, that he maintained an attitude of wishing that he could take on the suffering of all living beings. And, and he held that motivation so sincerely that, and maintained that even as he was undergoing his own torture and execution, that, 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 inevitably created a powerful karma that in which he was reborn as this, you know, uh, immortal deity whose, you know, whose one message is love and compassion. Um, so that's, you know, if you wanted to apply like the karmic model, you can, you can start interpreting, uh, 
um, myths and, and religious stories and fairy tales with these, you know, looking for these karmic morals of the story. So um, that's the, the thinking involved, um, that we can that we can kind of manipulate our relationship to the object by uh, investing it with positive or negative associations. We can, um, we have a, a strong emotional, uh, there's a strong, the, the stronger the emotional component indicates the intensity of the karma. And our, um, our motivation, the degree to which the, the action is motivated by self-interest or altruism. Now, this is this is part of why the Bodhisattva ideal is uh, so important in the Mahayana Buddhism. The Bodhisattva ideal, if you look at it from the perspective of karmic management, is the the only way to get enlightened is to want enlightenment for others more than you want it for yourself. Creating the karma of trying to help others achieve enlightenment is the only way to, to create the karmic results of being enlightened oneself. So this is how this, how a really intense motivation of altruism is a powerful tool in our own spiritual development. Okay, the, the next part of karma is the one that is the, the third of the, the third aspect of creating a karma is of course the one that seems the most obvious, and that's actually doing the deed. So in the case of the, the, in, in the case of the butcher, uh, it, the butcher, you know, sets out to, to slaughter the animal. Um, the butcher has the, the, whatever the thinking qualities, whatever the mental qualities of their action are. And then the butcher actually actually kills the animal, and so this is the this is the the actually doing the the karma. So you know one of the things could you know be um, you know try, trying to commit uh, an action, having the you know identi correctly identifying the object, having the all of these characteristics of the, your relationship to it and your emotional quality and your motivation, and then failing to actually call, uh, you know. Uh, commit the action. So this would be like, you know, again, sorry for the gruesome stuff, but like in, in the case that the murderer aims to kill the person and then they actually are thwarted or they fail in that, in the action, they injure the person and they survive and recover or something like this. They haven't created the, it's not technically a complete karma because they haven't done the action, but they still create the karma of having the, the strong motivation and the desire and the intention to do the action. Um, so this is where, you know, uh, having an altruistic attitude is important, but it's not as, it, but it's only an aspect of actually being altruistic, actually doing acts of generosity. I, I think that that's self-evident, but, um, you know, in the Gelupa style, we like to break things down and go through them, uh, point by point. And then the, the fourth aspect of creating karma is, um, is called completion, which means recognizing that the action has been occurred and then having a sense of satisfaction about it. So, um, 
you know, again, another gruesome one, but this is, this is Jade Tsongkhapa. I'm quoting Tsongkhapa here, so don't, you know, don't shoot the messenger. But he says that in the case of uh, suicide, that one completes the karma of undertaking because they successfully, successfully kill their target, uh, but they do not get the karma of completion because they are already dead and they don't identify the, that the act has been completed and have that sense of satisfaction. I know it's a macabre, this is a macabre example, but um, this is making that distinction between undertaking the, the action, but then also that a, that, a, that a full karma, so to say, an intense karma, has this additional aspect of completion. So recognizing that the act has been done and then having a sense of satisfaction about it. Um, so, you know, the, car, the, the completion has to do, you know, the completion also has to do with motivation. So again, um, uh, the motivation of wanting to harm somebody actually completing, you know, actually harming them and then seeing, having the sense of satisfaction of saying, yeah, I wanted to harm them and I did. And now I, you know, I did it. Um, that karma is mitigated then if instead of the sense of satisfaction, there's a sense of regret. Um, you, you can't undo the, the action. The action has been done, but the, the sense of regret and it mitigates the intensity of the karma. And the greater the, the sense of regret, the greater the, uh, the mitigation. So, you know, there, there, I don't think that there is, I could be wrong, so I'm not going to say it definitively, but I don't think that there's like a karmic ledger out there where there's like profit and loss columns and you've got like a, uh, like a sum total of, how much white karma and how much negative karma and, and where they are, where they are in relationship, relationship to each other. Um, you know, maybe there is a cosmic ledger. I doubt it. Um, so it's less a question of like, I collected X number of virtuous karma points and, and Y number of non-virtuous karma points because I mitigated the non-virtuous karma. You know, I reduced the amount of non-virtuous karma points by applying regret and reducing the number somehow. Um, we're dealing with our conscience here. And uh, as we talked about in the last, in the last class, karma is always a, a, a sum total. The matrix of karma is an ongoing process. And so we are always working towards shifting that process more towards the positive. Um, rather than keeping track of how many, you know, virtuous karmas and how many non-virtuous karmas I planted each day. Although it is worthwhile to keep track. It is worthwhile to keep a, a journal or a log, an ethics log, in which you write down the, uh, the ethical actions that you want to pay attention to. The, the five precepts or the 10 precepts are a great place to start. But another place to start would be looking at what the problems in your life are, then, then reverse engineering the causes of that through the karmic correlations. Again, refer to the handout for more information about those. And then saying, okay, if I have health problems, I want to start keeping track of, of how the degree to which you keep track of how I'm harming others and how I'm helping others. If I have money problems, 
I wanna keep track of how I'm stingy and how I'm generous and so on. And then, but then keeping track, checking in with your journal, maybe even at the beginning of every day and setting a strong intention. And then at the end of the day and, and reevaluating how you did. It's a, I, it's a remarkable practice and, and I, uh, I have done that practice and I recommend it because it's, uh, you really get clear on all of the little things that, uh, that are easy to overlook. So, um, so mitigating karma, um, this is, since we came up on this topic of regret, I'd like to mention it here. Um, you know, creating powerful karmas is, uh, is something that we can t start to take on strategically and we can intentionally create virtuous karmas by, um, learning what the the most helpful actions are, um, which again, the precepts are a great place to start, or we can look at what the needs are in our world. Um, I believe it was Padma Sambhava who said, um, the sign that you need to practice generosity is that you see poverty around you. If you see poverty, that's a sign that you have the, uh, you have a karma that you need to correct with acts of generosity. Um, so looking around us in our world and seeing what our world needs and starting to, to act in that way with, uh, positive motivation and, 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 uh, and an attitude of altruism and, and compassion ways that we can start creating positive karmas. But also we, um, can and do, uh, create strong negative karmas. Sometimes we... I mean, maybe this hasn't happened to any of you, but I have on occasion fl uh, flown off the handle at somebody who I care about, um, or even had a conflict with a spiritual teacher, you know, someone who I see as a holy being, and then I lose my temper at them and write a nasty, scathing email and don't have the good judgment not to send it. That may be a real world example. Um, so that karma has been, those karmas have been created but I can start to work on how to mitigate those strong karmas. And um, the practice for that, we colloquial, colloquially call the, the four R's. Um, and the first of the four R's is uh, to, to recognize that we did the negative action, right? Like this is one of the one of the, the problems with anger is is that it, we can have righteous anger, right? Where we're justified in our anger, and we told that person off, but they had it coming, and they you know they needed to hear that you know they needed to be told off for whatever reason, and my righteous anger has justified me or or. Um, you know, I, I have somehow let myself off the hook for creating this negative karma by by giving myself justification. They had it coming. They deserved it. Something like that, right? So the first step was recognize that I created the negative karma. Okay, you know, let's just set aside whether or not they had it, had it coming and just focus on my own self, which is I shouted at that person. I said horrible things. I completely lost my temper. That wasn't cool. 
that created a strong negative karma. That's definitely going to ripen as some, as some horrible thing happening to me, somebody flying off the handle at me or worse. Um, and so the, the first step is to, to recognize that the thing that I did was harmful. The second, uh, the second step is, um, regret. And that is to, to have, um, to, to sincerely, to sincerely regret that, um, that that was harmful. And not just regret because it's going to lead to non, you know, it's non-virtuous karma. It's going to lead to unpleasant results in the future. But regret that I harmed somebody and that, uh, that I hurt them with my words or with my actions or even with my thoughts. Even if I'm, if I, if I nurture a grudge or something like this, uh, regret that I've done that. The, the third of the four steps is restraint. Uh, and that is making a commitment to watching my morality very carefully around this particular issue and to not, uh, to not do it again. Now, the, the key to restraint is to set a time frame. Don't, um, don't give yourself an impossible task. I'm never going to lose my temper at anybody ever again. I promise to restrain myself forever. That's probably unrealistic. I'll never tell a white lie ever again. Um, you know, really reckon with yourself. This is part of the recognize and regret phase is really reckon with yourself. Like, is this a habit? Do, like, do I fly off the handle at people often? Um, are there ways that I'm like irritable and snippy with people that aren't quite flying off the handle, but are like a miniature version of the same thing? Really ob observe that. What is the mental affliction and the, and the cause of all of this? Um, in my own, in my own actions, in my own process. Um, and then set an intention to not do that thing for a fixed amount of time. I'm not going to lie or I'm not going to fly off. I'm not going to fly off the handle at that person for the rest of the day. And I'm going to be really careful about keeping patience around them uh, and, and keeping that vow that I made to myself. You know, it's like, it's like making a precept uh, for a period of time. So that the restraint phase is, is really important that it has a time frame so that it's so that you can make that commitment and keep that commitment. Part of why restraint is so important is that we are um, seeing ourselves keeping our commitments, keeping our ethical commitments. So if we if we set the if we set the time frame or we make the restraint phase unrealistic and then we see ourselves uh, not keep that commitment that we made to ourselves, then the then the the uh, the mitigation isn't really effective, and in fact, we create the karma of our ha of seeing ourselves not keeping our commitment to ourselves, and that you know feeds a habit of not doing the things that we say that we're going to do, and it's especially important with our morality. Um, and then the the last of the four is uh, recompense. That's kind of a weird word, but in order to make them four R's, we have to find an, an R word. Recompense means um, doing something to, uh, doing a positive thing to counteract the negative thing. 
In the case of flying off the handle, maybe recompense is going to the person we flew off the handle at and sincerely apologizing. And, uh, you know, having to kind of set aside our, you know, self-righteousness or our um, irritation with them or whatever conflict that triggered the, the angry outburst, being able to compartmentalize, compartmentalize all of that and set it aside and sincerely apologize. Um, you know, in the case of, um, you know, in the case of stronger karmas, like killing or harming another being or something like that, that might be that we d devote a certain amount of time to volunteering at an animal shelter, at a no-kill animal shelter, and trying to help all of the creatures that live there that are, that need homes. Um, or maybe it means fostering, fostering animals, um, and giving safe homes to creatures that need safe homes. Um, fostering is great. I don't um, this is totally a tangent, but fostering is great. Many animal shelters have a situation where you can take a pet for a limited time because it, it, it they tend to have overcrowding in the shelters. And so you can take an animal uh, and give it a home for a period of time. And that way you're not committing to the, you know, 10 or whatever, 15 years of having a, a cat or a dog but you can nevertheless um, devote some time and energy to, uh, to taking care of a creature that needs, needs help. You know, it's a creature that sincerely needs help and, and it, it can be really fulfilling and positive um, to, to devote some time and energy to that. Um, but maybe you don't have the time or energy to take it on as a lifestyle, but you can take it on for a little while. So, those, those four R's, recognizing that the thing we did was harmful. Um, uh, what was the second one? Regret, uh, sincerely regretting the action. Um, committing ourselves to restraining from the harmful action for a fixed period of time that's doable. Don't bite off more than you can chew. And uh, recompense or restoration, maybe would another, be another good R word for that fourth one, of... Uh, doing something positive to, to sort of re reset the balance. And you're working with your own conscience here. So you can decide these things for yourself. Um, but also, you know, when we, when we talk about going for refuge to Sangha, one of the beautiful things about Sangha, our community, is that we have other people that we can talk about these things with. Uh, we have spiritual teachers that we can reach out to, um, we have other Dharma friends who we can talk about these things with. Um, we can also seek out therapists and counselors, which can help us work with our emotions and, and get our mental afflictions under control. We have resources. We have resources available to us, and we have people who can, who can and will take the time to help us uh, work through these things and, and find good ways to, to um, grow, you know? That's one of the core functions, one of the core purposes of, of Dharma practice, of Buddhist teachings, is to reduce and ultimately eliminate suffering. And reducing suffering is, uh, is a process. So we want to use whatever tools we can to help reduce suffering. Karma is one approach to that. And, um, and you know, I... I, I um, you know, I propose karmic management, you know, like this idea that wealth comes from generosity. I, I propose that as a thought experiment, not as a metaphysical truth. 
I don't know. I can't say from my, you know, the limitations of my senses and my own consciousness. I can't say if that's a metaphysical truth, that the cause of of wealth is generosity. And karma also doesn't really say that that's the, you know, karmic model doesn't really say that, that that's how you get rich. You know, karma's not teaching you how to get rich. Even if you do put the causes for wealth into place through generosity, those ripen at some point in the future, maybe for another, you know, this body gets old and dies and that wealth generates for another life in some distant, uh, in some distant future life. Um, I'm not even creating the wealth. I'm not even creating the karma for wealth for myself, you know? And if I were, that would be self-defeating. But as a thought experiment, this is what I this is what I'm proposing, you know? Uh, that we try on these ideas and and use them as a framework for how to live better and how to treat others better and how to be better people because that's how we reduce and eliminate suffering. So that's how uh, I think karma and teachings on karma are really practical. Thanks for tuning in to the Mojo Hito podcast. For show notes, video, and more information, visit mojohito.com.